0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, you
1: are the one who is mighty, and we, we sing celebrating the great thing that you have done. Because of your will, the Son has come. He has come, and he has begun this great work of redemption. We have seen much of it. We have sung of it this morning. We know of it. We revel in it. Crosses happened, the tomb is empty. He has ascended into heaven, and he reigns. He has come and done much. A mighty work you've done. Thank you. And as we say thank you, we follow on with that right away with a pleading. Thank you for sending the Son. Will you send the Son? Because what has been begun is not completed yet. And we live in between the first and second comings. We live in the midst of of a project begun but not finished, sorrows lifted but not yet ended, deliverance started but not yet finished. And so we pray, would you send the Son again? And the passage before us this morning touches on that. The fact that the King is to come yet again we are reminded that this morning it's held up in front of us and we are called to live in light of it. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that as we do, do the, the work of looking at and thinking through this passage that you would, you would do a couple of things. On top of asking you to send him, we ask you in the meantime to help us to live waiting well. To live waiting for him to come and and to live appropriately, to live well now. To live in hope now and to live properly ready at work now, well. Help us to balance those things out, Lord. A sorrow of longing, a hope of, of expectation, an earnestness of labor. Bring all those things in front of us this morning from this passage. Mature us, grow us in them and make us in this time of in between make us the kind of church, the kind of people that you mean for us to be. So build us this morning, Lord. Use this passage. Give clarity to my words. Help us to think well about it and build us up. Help us to live now well in between the times, even as we ask you to end these times and to send the sun again. Be with us now. Guide us. Spirit of God, will you move through this room and give, give focus to us. Give, us, give us power to hear and power to speak, and will you press into us life-changing truth. Build your people. Honor the Son. Build this church, we pray. It's in his name I ask this. Amen. We turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 12 where we've been looking at Jesus teaching in the middle of this large mixed crowd. People from all across the spectrum are here, from hostile angry opponent to loyal follower and and back and forth he's been addressing these different groups, touching on the disciples and on the crowd at large, most recently warning us that life is not found in the abundance of possessions. We're often tempted to think that, to think that as we gather in what we can find here, we'll build a life for ourselves. But nope, life's not found in the abundance of possessions, nor, conversely, in the simple life and having just the bare minimums that we think we need. Life's not found in possessions. A lot or a little, and therefore, talked on last week, generously give it away. What you have, give away to bless others, And in so doing, in in how you generously give, pursue the kingdom because that's where life actually is found. Jesus has been pressing this point home about life in the kingdom and as we heard prayed, a kingdom that God is so well pleased to give to us. So we can can then pursue it with confidence and with hope and we can give away our lives for it knowing that we're not going to give away our lives to something that isn't going to leave us empty. It's going to fail. We can live in pursuit of God's kingdom knowing he is eager to give it to us. There's a confidence and a hope there. This kingdom that is yet to come in fullness. It has come already, yet to come in fullness. And that yet to come in fullness, that kingdom that is to come, is what moves us towards our passage today where Jesus switches a little bit from talking about kingdom to talking about king. But it's not really very far off because when the king comes, of course, he brings the kingdom. So he's going to talk about something yet to come and talk about living in anticipation of that. So here's the main point I'm driving at this morning. Let me state it and then I'll read the passage. If I were to sum it all up, I'd put it like this. Faithful disciples live now in light of what Jesus brings when he comes. It's what Jesus is kind of pressing us towards this morning. Faithful disciples live now in light of what Jesus brings when he comes. That's where we're going this morning. Let me read the passage. This is from Luke chapter 12, lengthy passage, verses 35 all the way through 48. I'll read it and then make two observations from it. One from the first paragraph, one mostly from the second. Luke 12, beginning in verse 35. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Luke chapter 12. Here's the first observation. The king and his kingdom will come eventually, so stay awake. The king and his kingdom will come. Eventually, So stay awake. That is, remain ready. It will come. He's been telling his, his followers, including us, to focus our energy and attention on living for the kingdom. That is, God's perfect, renewed realm. The kingdom is, is the realm in which God's power is at work to press into a people in a place, renewal. Righteousness and justice and peace and hope, joy, life. God's power, God's reign in a place on a people made right. Been talking about living for that kingdom. And what Jesus is now adding is that kingdom brought by that king, the day that I'm telling you to look forward to and to wait for, well, be ready for it to come. Be ready for him to come at any time. Live with one eye, if you will, kind of like one eye on your work here and and one eye on the horizon. Verse 35, be ready, stay dressed for work with lamp burning. That's, That's a posture of readiness. A servant kind of still at his post. Stay dressed, stay ready. Because the situation we're in now, Jesus is saying, is a lot like that a servant would be in if his master went off to a feast, say a wedding banquet or something and they don't know when he's coming back, but he is coming back, but we don't know which hour of the night. But they stay ready, listening for the knock, so they can open the door and do their job when he comes. Always alert. When he comes is up to him, but we should be awake when he comes. That's the situation we're in now and also our situation is a bit like watching for a thief. You don't make an appointment for a burglar to come by. You just wait. You're always on guard, always alert because he's coming who knows when. So you stay ready. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's verse 40. Similar point in both those short little parables. Someone is coming we don't know when, and that point is also pressed home in verse 46, when in that parable, the master is described as coming at a day and at an hour that is unknown. The arrival could be at any time. Who knows when? But he is coming. There's a delay of uncertain length, and that's according to plan. That's, that's the way it is. Nothing's wrong. That's how it is. So why is Jesus saying that here now? If, if you look at that, how does that fit? With what he was just saying, what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. How does that fit in there? Well, because it's going to look, very shortly, it's going to look like this is not according to plan like the plan is broken, like something has gone wrong. His audience, those who are listening to him across the spectrum, would have understood from the Old Testament the idea of the kingdom of God coming. The idea of on one day God sending his king, his Messiah, sending him and with him setting up a kingdom, setting up a reign, which would also include a day of judgment in which evil would be wiped away and, and right Rightness, righteousness would be established and good would happen. They understood from the Old Testament, that's coming. They expect it. So they have have enough here that they can kind of grasp what he says, but they didn't really get it all. You can almost imagine some of them hearing verse 40. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect, and thinking, I think he's talking about himself because he's used that phrase before to describe himself. But he's standing right here. So what exactly is he talking about? Coming at an hour I do not expect. He's here already. Never mind. Setting that slightly confusing point aside. He's here and something's coming and maybe it's going to take a week or a month. He's headed towards Jerusalem and he's going to go up there and set up something. Maybe... Maybe that's what he means. So they think. He has to mean something like that because the power has already begun. The kingdom power, the the lame walk, the deaf hear, demons are cast out. That stuff's already started, so something is imminent right now, right? They don't have any category for... Decades, centuries, millennia. They don't see that. And so Jesus is preparing them. Because without this kind of preparation, all the language that he was just using and all the talk that he was just giving to them, live for the kingdom, seek the kingdom, store up treasure in heaven, long for life found in the the presence of God the King. It is easy and in fact natural to overlook and simply forget about all that or straight up reject it when nothing like that is showing up. When they were called to to invest in, in the King and His kingdom that He is eager to give them but but all that dawns every day is the same old kingdom. And it, it seems like evil still has its way, and there is no righteousness and justice. And, and the best life, it seems, that I could pursue now is the one in pursuit of possessions. You're telling me to give all this away in the hope of a future that I don't see anything of, and meanwhile, everything that could be good is just passing right on by. Is the king ever going to come? That... that it's gonna be where they are in a moment if he doesn't prepare them. And it is where we are, sometimes ourselves, right now. That's that's their problem, but it's also our problem. We know a whole lot more than they did, for sure. We we sang this morning a number of songs about Christ coming and, and all that God has done to bring salvation indeed. We know about the kingdom in his first coming, and we know about the cross and the resurrection, that Jesus has now been raised and is seated in heaven where he waits to come again. We understand that. But a hope that is deferred is hard to live for when it is deferred for a long, long, long time. And it's been a long, long, long time. Never mind a couple thousand years. We haven't lived a couple thousand years, but you've lived a few decades. And for a few decades, if you've been a Christian, for a few decades now, people have been telling you across pulpits and various churches give away your possessions for the sake of the kingdom, store up treasure in heaven, pursue the king. And none of it's here right in front of you. But what you face day after day is the same old, same old. We find it hard to save for college and retirement and you can see colleges, and you can see people who have been retired. We find it really hard to save for heaven when you can't see it and the king isn't here. This is a problem that is hard for us because not only do we not see the king present on a throne pressing justice in the land, but in fact we see quite the opposite. We see injustice in the land and we see the continuing scourge of pain and evil. Sometimes you want to just throttle something because we talk about, we sing, joy to the earth, and sometimes, don't you, don't you just want to pound something and say, what lunatic wrote that song? Don't you? I'm a Christian. Many of us, most of us here are probably Christians. So you understand that. We understand Christ reigning in heaven and, and Christ promising to come. We, we understand that. But over here, Sometimes there's a silent scream going on in your head as you face the uncertain and failing health, as you face the failed relationships, as you face the financial shortage, as you face, as you face, as you face, as you face. face. Uh! Yes, but. How do you live here? Jesus means to help us live here with a couple things here in this passage in this first part of the passage still in the first point he's telling us this is, this is how it is and I'm telling you beforehand so that you're not surprised by it and so that you will believe I actually am in charge of it this is how it is so two things he means to give to help us here. The first one is this. This is how it is. There's going to be a delay of unknown length. Why? Why is it that way? Well, it could be a bunch of reasons. A couple hopped to mind. If you'd waited a hundred years less, we wouldn't be in the kingdom. So I'm thankfully waited at least this long for me. There are Other ways his power is displayed, he's showing that there is no hope in any kind of human development, the world remains as it is, wait however long you want, it doesn't get fixed. There are many reasons he might wait this long, but but one reason he waits this long, alluded to here and in many places in Luke, relates to what it reveals about us. From another passage in Luke, Jesus will ask, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That same principle, it's in a different chapter, the same principle applies right here. Something about us is revealed because to be like men who are waiting, verse 36, to stay awake, 37, 38, be ready, 40, also implied in verse 47, Asks us to trust him. Asks us to live by faith and not by sight. And surfaces in us who and what we actually trust. Is he your hope? If he is, you'll wait for him and you'll look for him and live life here with an eye on the horizon longing for his appearing. And that will be shown in you as the words of, first, of, of Colossians 3 kind of become real in you. Colossians 3, the beginning of Colossians 3, talks about how Christ, who is our life, currently is in heaven, but is going to come and bring our life with him. And if you actually believe that, you will long for it and look for it and not be one who says, eventually, never mind. I mean, what I really want, I can get somewhere else and turn, turn away to pursue the world. He waits in part He waits in part to reveal the king so as to reveal us. And to call us to call us back to himself. So The first, the first piece that he means to give here for, to help us live now is the assurance this is the way it is and there are reasons for that. One I suggest is to to grow it, to challenge and to grow our faith. But the second thing that he means to give us is found in what happens. That first little parable there, the servant's waiting for the master to come back. What, what results from that? A feast. So he tells us, this is the way it is. And believe me, I, there, is a fe- there is a time of fasting now, but there's a feast that comes. Feasts are about fellowship. Fellowship. All through the Bible, feasts are not about just appetite. Feasts are about fellowship. What he's saying is there is, a, there is a delay. There is a wait. Do you trust me? Will you wait? Because what happens at the end of that wait is feast. Master, Lord, and, and servant, church, seated together in fellowship, feasting. He holds out in front of you a a great promise, a a hope, that it isn't just that only the end of suffering, but in fact the presence of God himself with you, seated at a table forever. There's a hope held out there to you. How do you live in in the midst, how do you remain ready in the midst of this? Well, in part what he says is, this is the way it is, but there's a good, there's a really good, an honest good that follows that is coming. Trust me for that. So Christians, what we do is we hold in front of our eyes. We don't let our eyes settle on the trouble here and the uncertainty here and, and terminate only on, I don't know, I, I'm not in control. But instead we lift up our eyes and say, he is in control, he knows what he's doing and he's promised to feast with me when he comes. Hold that in front of yourselves and remain ready. He is coming eventually. Stay ready to receive the feast that's coming. So the first point, first observation, he is coming eventually, so remain ready. And part of remaining ready involves hoping in what he's bringing the feast. But as I move towards the second observation, notice there's another part of remaining ready in this first paragraph. What's the difference in the two little parables there? The parable of the, the master coming home from the wedding feast and the parable of the thief. Real short little parables. Similar point. Somebody's coming, we don't know when. But the difference is Somebody's coming, we don't know when, to bring us something good. Something's coming, we don't know when, to bring us something bad. A thief. One, you wait for to receive happily. One, you wait for so as to hold off. To thwart. And that is what gets expanded in this whole second paragraph, the whole second parable. Because part of remaining ready involves knowing that God is in charge of this and that he's going to bring us something good. And part of remaining ready involves being alert to something bad. Here's the second point. Verse 41, Peter asks Jesus a question about the intended audience for Jesus' remarks. And without answering him directly, Jesus goes on to talk not about the whole world, and not even directly about all of his followers. But rather specifically, he's addressing those who would be in positions of spiritual leadership in some way or another within the church, within the body. So that, he's got a, a kind of a narrow focus here. However, that being said, what he's going to say there is easily applied to every one of us, no matter what, easily applied to all of us, because the point is rather general. Here's the second point. When he comes, and he is coming, when he comes, the Lord will rightly repay us. When he comes, the Lord will rightly repay us, appropriately repay us. He tells this longer parable in the the second paragraph and gets elaborated on begins with, verse 42, a manager. Someone that the master sets over the household, a manager or a steward, who would have been a servant also, like the rest of the servants, but one given a special task to kind of be the one over the other servants. And here we see assigned the job of giving them their portion of food at the proper time. So he's got a particular job, manage the household, care for it, particularly feed it, And then what follows in the parable are four different types of servants, like how that job might be done in four different ways. Four different possible responses to that assignment from the master. Positive one comes first. What would a faithful and wise manager look like? He would give them their portion of food at the proper time. He would be faithful in doing the job. He would do it wisely, aware I'm going to be held accountable for this. And the master will come back, will look at the job, will judge him, and will then commend him, will rightly repay him. Here, take charge of more. Nicely done. Take charge of more. But, what are the rest? There are three other examples of people who don't faithfully, and wisely carry out the will of the Lord. Three possibilities, and they all vary according to what they know and what they did with what they know, which is, the part of, which is where the last sentence comes in, the one given much, much required. That's summing up what we see here, different levels of knowledge and different response to what they know, each of the three negative servants. Verse 45, there's a servant that says, the master isn't here and the master isn't going to be here. So I'm going to use the power that I have for me. And he abuses the servants and feeds himself. He uses his power to abuse those that he is in charge of and to gather all of the the wealth of the household to himself to feed his own appetites. He feeds himself and even drinks himself into drunkenness. What of that servant? Well, you see the double problem. He knows what he's supposed to do and doesn't do that and knows what he's not supposed to do and does do that. and when the master comes at the unexpected day and hour he cuts him to pieces and throws him out with the unfaithful figuratively dismembering him now it's figurative because he's still alive to be thrown out with the unfaithful jesus is trying to show here is catastrophic judgment which is different than the next servant, the third one, who did not get ready or act according to the will of the Lord, verse 47. So he knew what he was supposed to do and didn't do it, but less than the other guy. So he is severely beaten. And the fourth servant, who failed at his job but wasn't quite clear on it, knew less. He did what was worthy of being beaten and so he doesn't get a pass. He is beaten, but lightly. Those are the four servants. That's the parable. A clear depiction of what King Jesus will be like when he comes back. He will see, accurately evaluate, accurately evaluate, and repay rightly, justly demanding more of those who know more and less of those who know less, but he will demand an accounting and he will repay rightly. That's the parable. And we should be ready and take care in light of it. That has obvious application to all of us, to all people. He is particularly, as I said, focusing on, on servants in the household, but, but across the board, when Jesus comes, he will call every single person to account and will ask, have you done the will of the Lord, yes or no? All need to consider this, but especially those who are entrusted with responsibility and leadership in the church. That's where, that's where his focus ends up going. There will always be some in the church, and perhaps you, you know some, have seen some, I mean, an immediate, I mean, what rushes into my mind are, are particular cases about all the clergy abuse stuff that is still churning in society. There will always be people who use a position of religious power to feed themselves and hurt other people. No one gets away with anything. No matter what they call themselves or what position they have attained, there are servants, there are people in positions of service in the church who will be utterly condemned because Jesus knows the truth about them. And when he comes, will rightly repay. That is perhaps a warning to us, but it's also perhaps an encouragement to us. Some of us who were in the life training class last quarter spent a couple of weeks looking at an article that was in the Tribune in the last fall where a, an op-ed piece a writer was talking about in extreme frustration, to put it lightly, extreme frustration and disdain for a God who would allow, he puts the words in there, priests to rape altar boys. What's the answer to that? Well, part of that answer is right here. He will cut them to pieces and throw them into hell with the unbelievers. That does not eliminate the pain of the sin. No, certainly it does not eliminate the pain of the sin. But it does tell us that the God who is allowed, who has determined that there will be sin in the world, has also determined that sin will not ultimately stand. So maybe there's a warning to us personally, but, but more likely, given, given us here perhaps more likely there is a there is an encouragement in this that there is a day of justice that comes everything is rightly repaid and maybe on, on that point maybe we need to think a little more closely about numbers 3 and 4 Those of us who are ministers, maybe with a capital M ministers, and all the rest of us who are lowercase M ministers, because we all are to be servants in the church. We all are involved in some way or another in building the church. This applies to all of us. Something that is important for us to consider. He rightly repays. So we should live in in light of that, we should live with an eye on the on the horizon and To then examine our lives here, are we faithfully discharging what he has assigned to us? How have I, I'm talking about me, Steve, how have I shepherded the flock of God? How have you shepherded the flock of your house if you're a parent? Have you shepherded the relationships that you're in, if you're you're in a relationship, if you're married? How have you shepherded the friendships? How have you carried on in, in regards to other people around you in Bible studies? Or how have you portrayed Christ to those around you in the church or outside of it? Those are all vastly different assignments, certainly. But in every one of those, we all should be asking ourselves, have I faithfully discharged the will of God, faithfully and wisely? Be wise and faithful and earnest. Fear the Lord who is coming to judge the living and the dead. But don't be afraid. Fear the Lord who is coming to judge the living and the dead. But don't be afraid. Am I contradicting myself? Of course, deliberately so. Follow this. Fundamentally, Christian, fundamentally, you are too blessed to be afraid. Fear the Lord? The whole Bible says yes. Be afraid. The whole Bible says no. Follow this, because this is right on, we've got to think about this, there's, there's a, we are right on an important tension right here in this passage. An, an important, essential tension, because the whole reason for this paragraph, the whole reason for the second point, the reason that it's here is to make us soberly think about, to be ready to soberly think about I'm going to be held accountable. That's the whole point here. right? To make every person, Peter included and in on down, to make every person realize he's going to come, and I'm going to be held accountable, held accountable of that. So I need to think and, and to be aware Jesus is coming. And as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he will judge us all for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Christians. True. Or, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, speaking of ministers with a capital M, but we could apply it across the board. The principle applies. Some ministers will build the church with precious metals and stones and some with wood, hay, and straw. What will happen? There will be a fire that will judge all that and the junk will burn. The whole reason this is here is to make us think, to to recall that and remember it, and to live in light of it, to live in light of what comes when Jesus comes, to sober us and make us aware. I must be ready. There will be an accountability. And if you take that to heart and think about it for a second... Who can stand? Who can stand? Maybe you're not a Christian. A few minutes ago you thought what I said that he'll come and judge all of us and ask, have you done the will of the Lord? Maybe what you thought there was that I need to do the will of the Lord. And certainly we all should aspire to be that that servant one type of person who faithfully does the will of the Lord that Clearly is the point. We should aspire to be that. And while I'm not servant number two, the problem is I have been and probably will again be servants three and four. And you too. Who can stand? Even if I'm not aware of where I've been servant 3 and 4 isn't that the point of servant 4 that you're not aware isn't that what Paul said right after 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 4 he said i'm i'm not aware of any way i've violated the lord but my clear conscience does not clear me god will judge when he comes that's paul 1 Corinthians 4 so who can stand This is frightening and unnerving, if you think about it. He will properly repay me, and if I work through this, I can aspire to be number one. I can say that, thankfully, I I am not number two, but then I have to say, oh, dear, but I am number three and number four. What kind of a beating is coming to me? Oh, my word. And I'm afraid. And maybe, maybe you, maybe me, maybe what you think is, you know what? I better be more faithful. I better try harder and I better serve better. And I better serve more. And I better, I better shape this. I better conform this. I better be a better shepherd. I better be a better steward of my family. I better be a better steward of the responsibilities and the resources I've been given. I better, I better, I better, I better. Wrong because you can't. This is the tension. The whole point of it being here is to make us aware and alert and, and to, to say, I should be faithful and wise. And the other half of the tension is, but I can't ever be faithful and wise enough. I am a sinner, and I have been and will be. Who can stand? The purpose here is to alert us to be faithful, to inspire us to live storing up treasure in heaven and to look for and long for the return of the King and his coming kingdom, not in dread but in joy, as I move into the second half of the tension, you're not in dread, but in joy, because, Christian, because what's going on in 35 and 36 and 37? Think about that again. Ready, waiting, ready to work, but then what happens? This is amazing. Behold the gracious God. Behold the gracious God, the one who is pleased to give you the kingdom. The humble Lord of heaven, the true ruler of the household, he says, truly I say to you, so do you see this? Verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, that's the word of Jesus, the authority of of Jesus. He has to tack that on here because this is unbelievable. This is hard to believe, but he has to tack on his personal authority. This is the way it is. Shocking as it is. Truly I say to you, when he comes, he will dress himself for service. and have you recline at table. You see the reversal there? You're the servant, ready to work, careful to your task, and when he comes, what does he do? He gathers up his robe, tells you to have a seat, and throws you a banquet party. He comes back to give you, to serve you, to make for you a feast of fellowship. Why? Because you were servant number one? Nope. Because he went away to the cross first for you to bear all the blows that you deserve. And he bore them, and you will bear them nevermore. So when he comes back, is there an accountability? Of course, yes. But even the one who finds all of his work burned up enters into the master's feast and finds Jesus himself setting the table and Jesus himself laying out in front of you fine food and better wine than you've ever tasted and then seating himself right next to you to commune with you for your joy forever and ever 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 and ever. Be not afraid, little flock, little mixed flock, With negligence and ignorance and with wonderful obedience and faithful wisdom all mixed together. That's what we are. We are a mixed flock. That's what we are. But be not afraid, little flock, because this is a master who fundamentally is delighted to give you the kingdom and is going to do it. In light of what is coming when he comes, that's what drives us to live. That's why we live here now in this tension. We live here in the midst of sorrow and loss and emptiness and and hope that seems perpetually deferred, but we have to hold up in front of ourselves. He's in charge, and there's a banquet coming, and he is the servant at the banquet for me. Truly I say to you, that's the way it is. Jesus has to underline it, because that makes no sense. The king serves the peasant... The master serves the slave. In this house, yes. Gloriously, gloriously, gloriously. You will find him, the mighty servant king. When you meet him again, you will find him with his robe tied up and towel and basin in hand as he washes your feet and serves you daily bread and welcomes you into table fellowship with him forever. He comes to serve us. So be ready for that day. Be ready for it in hope. That banquet is coming. And be ready for it sober-minded. You don't want to walk away from that kind of a king. So do you see what actually, in the end, drives us back to faithful wisdom? Is not the fear of the lash, It's the promise of the table. Hold that in front of yourself, Christian. This is the God who gives. He is so generous. And he promises you, I am coming again. And I will bring the kingdom in fullness when I come. So live in light of what comes when he comes. And trust him and rest in him. Let me pray. Father, will you help us to live in light of this amazing grace? And will you produce in us a sanctifying, a, a, a burning away of dross that comes from this kind of a hope? Not an afraid fear, but an awe struck fear. Produce in us sanctification. Produce in us hope. Produce in us attentiveness. Help us to live now while we wait for you to come. And Father, please send the Son. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray that along with the rest of the church across the ages. Come, Lord Jesus finish what you started. And thank you for what that finish is going to be like for us, your people. You will rightly repay indeed, but because you repaid, Father, because you repaid Jesus for our sin, you will pour on us great delight, riches from heaven that never end. Give us that kind of hope Move us with that hope to follow you. Build your church. Draw in your people. And send the Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.